got, am I ready? All right. All right. Well, thanks for coming this morning. I'll be the, the leader today, session three, family worship. Um, this is um, kind of a tough one. I told, kind of joked Ryan that this is like, when you sent out the sign-up sheet, this was like one of the, I felt like one of the last ones because, you know, we kind of picture like family worship, like leading, you know, singing and some of those things are sometimes uncomfortable, but anyway, so I kind of signed up for this one, but it didn't, um, didn't seem like it was going to go well, but like we kind of talked, it's good to sign up for stuff that maybe is not in your comfort zone, so then you can kind of like dig into it and you know, self-reflect and like grow and learn. So I feel like I'm going to be telling you some things that um, are beneficial to me and to you. And not that I'm implementing these like a, I do this well and you need to take my lead. So this is like a, it's a group information. So, um, okay, let's open with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the ability to gather to uh, learn about your word and to learn what um, we can take from it to apply to our lives. And uh, we just thank you so much for uh, the family unit and all of its um, uh, variations. We thank you for um, ordaining that as a holy thing, and we, we, um, we don't take that lightly. Uh, please help us to take from these uh, weeks of lessons, uh, truths, and actions that we can implement into our daily lives with our family. Uh, thank you for the grace and mercy that you give us and help us to extend that to our family. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we've been talking a couple weeks about what, um, just kind of like ministry of the family, um, and we know that God wants to use children um, to help explain his truth in the family, uh, to help explain truths about himself and his plan of salvation and his plan for sanctification um, and how the church is modeled around that. Um, and we know that building families is important to the church, um, but it's also important, important to the world. And so if you take that in mind and kind of say, okay, now well, how, how do we uh, minister to the family and how do we build things there? Um, you know, God designed the families to be built up so that they can play that role of, of um, ministering to the church and to the world. And so when you think about family worship, you know, we, at this church, it, it's a common term, it's a common phrase, um, because our community groups are built around it, and the church is modeled sort of in a way to um, encourage it, uh, and facilitate it. So we think about worship, we think about praying and singing and coming to church together, uh, maybe doing a Bible study. And so we're going to kind of go more into like family worship today on why it's important and how God wants us to worship together as families. So what is worship? On page one there. I'll try to follow that outline. I told Ryan it kind of, I like to keep up with stuff and fill in the right gaps that I don't want spots left open, but I'm probably going to, you know, mess that up because it's kind of complicated or it's hard, I guess. So, so worship is the, uh, you know, is the essential concept in scripture 
its service to God with an attitude of fear and adoring awe and wonder. So singing songs is worship, um, and that has probably the biggest emphasis because we can all relate to that, and we've all experienced it, and we've all seen it forever. Um, but just like in my upbringing, I can probably venture to say that most people didn't sing a ton as family worship at home growing up. Like just with my family, friends, doesn't seem like that was a common thing. So um, if you think of worship as service with an attitude of fear and adoring awe and wonder, it kind of takes on like more depth. You're looking at it from different angles. Uh, Paul writes in Romans 12, 1, that we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship or service. And so the, the main point is that our entire lives are to be just a continual act of worship. So then that's going to sort of frame and outline how we do this worship or service, thinking about it in, in a family context. So does the Bible say families should worship God this way? So uh, speaking through Moses, God unequivocally commanded the people of Israel, including their own children, to serve him by humbling themselves with fear and adoring awe and wonder. So Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 2, says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do so than in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. So there's a command to worship in there. And so God is telling them, is commanding them to worship. So then Moses doesn't stop there. He goes into now saying... How, how are we going to raise children to be worshipers? So the next, uh, the next verse selection uh, says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them down on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So we learn from these passages, which is number three down here, that God's will for his people is that they and their children worship him, meaning they serve him with every fiber of their being in an attitude of awe and love, and that this requires his word to be upon parents' hearts so they impress these commands on their children everywhere they go during every part of the day. So we worship everywhere all day and the notion that it's a heart-centered ministry kind of sets the foundation for everything else that we're going to go through the rest of this summer so um, God clearly I feel like God clearly teaches that raising moral children is not the same thing as raising Christian children so if you think about the difference between morality which is sort of a decision-making process versus a Christian mindset God's word clearly teaches that raising moral children is not the same as raising Christian children. And anything that we do, gimmicks, um, 
little things to try to get sort of an outward conformity, which sort of is like a legalism type of way of thinking. It will not equate to true service that our children are going to grow up in saying, okay, with every fiber of their being with an attitude of awe and love, they won't be able to do that unless they're taught as a Christian child what God's word means to them, and then that turns into ministry for the whole family. So discipling your kids through family worship is what can create an attitude of awe and wonder in them. So now we're moving to second page. So family worship requires daily teaching. So God's told us that we, to, we need to impress his word on our children. We teach it diligently. And we know and we see that this is not a hobby or a um, kind of a, a passing occurrence that we should do. It should be treated as a responsibility. And if you, again, think about the differences in definition between a hobby and a responsibility, we can all take two seconds and figure out that hobbies are um, optional, um, sometimes self-gratifying, fun, um, sometimes productive, sometimes not, where responsibilities are required of us or asked of us. Um, and there's a purpose behind it with a, with a goal to sort of be had. Um, so there's, there's a difference between hobby and responsibility. So if you think about responsibilities in your life and make family worship in, looked at in that same framework, then you'll think of it 24-7, or that's what we, we should strive to do. So morning, evening, inside, outside, active, passive, all of these areas are opportunities for family worship. So then the next question is, do we need to teach our children to be formal worshipers? You know, it's, I won't say it's easy, but it's very sort of natural in lots of ways to be informal. But do we need to teach them a formal way to worship? So it's not required, but we're kind of going to go through some things that make it seem as though it's a very wise thing to do. So there's no biblical command that tells us that we need to have formal family worship service um, or our own Sunday school at home or, you know, there's no verse that says that. Just like there's no verse that says you need quiet time, you need to do a Bible study, you need to um, do all these things your own, but it's a wise thing to do. So um, if you think about the nature of children, how, how they absorb and learn, if you teach them diligently and to impress um, you know, it kind of makes it, the words make it seem like it's suggesting that it should be a structured, kind of planned way. Um, just like we come here and do this sort of like planned, structured worship for a purpose, for a reason, to get the most out of it to be applied to our personal lives. We can kind of mimic that with our children, um, which, if you think of it that way, sounds very intimidating because... Um, even just talking to y'all, this is intimidating, much less like being my own worship leader, a song, you know, picking out songs, singing stuff in front of my kids. You know, I usually do it as like Olaf or, you know, kind of goofing off or something. But, um, 
you know, at home is where uh, we can kind of mimic a, a service like this. So I've got a quote. There was a quote from Professor Don Whitney, and he said that bringing up children in the, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord is not accomplished unintentionally and incidentally. Yes, it should and will happen throughout the day at unplanned, serendipitous occasions, but it should also happen purposefully. So without some regularity and structure and purpose, it is one of those things that we assume we are doing but never actually do. Consistently, father-led family worship is one of the best, steadiest, and most easily measurable ways to bring up children in the Lord's discipline and instruction. So examples in church history, the first the first point are the first Christians, and they almost always worship together with each other and, and as a family unit. Uh, and Mr. Whitney says, too, he's kind of recapping this. He says, at an early hour in the morning, the family assembled, and a portion of Scripture was read from the Old Testament, which was followed by a hymn and a prayer. In the evening, before retiring to rest, the family again assembled. The same form of worship was observed, with this difference that the service was considerably protracted beyond the period which could be conveniently allotted to it in the commencement of the day. So that's like some fancy talk. But read, reading over it a couple of times, it kind of struck me as, as sort of like the mindset to giving and tithing. Like if it becomes too analytical, we can almost like find a way to not make it work. Um, if you're trying to crunch numbers and have like this regimented... Uh, routine, you can almost find a way to look busy yourself or talk yourself out of having any time to do family worship. So if you let your like, reasoning out, out question your faith, sort of, then it's, it's something that you'll never be able to talk yourself into doing if you're trying to fit it into a, a tight schedule. So if we say, okay, let's, instead of saying maybe let's find time, if we, if we say, okay, let's try to make time and structure the day to kind of fit around that, I think like tithing and other, other things, if you prioritize that, then the things that you maybe could be doing in that moment, like if I could go finish weed eating or go do this thing, um, during that a lot, a lot of time that we could, do, we, we could be doing family worship, then... I think if we make the time, then it's sort of one of those things that the time is going to work itself out, or usually the blessing of the family worship is going to adjust your mindset to where the thing that you were wanting to do in the time that you chose not to do it, now you're okay with. Does that make sense? So it's working on your heart too, not just your kids. Martin Luther said that all of his responsibilities as a preacher and a church leader, as a husband and a father, he had the responsibility to be the worship-leading pastor of his family and that his house was actually a school and a church. So he was talented, so maybe he can do all of, the, all of those things. Spurgeon, too, we'll talk about him. So the Second London Confession of 1689. So this is the classic Baptist statement of faith modeled on the Westminster Catechism that says, 
like the Westminster Catechism, that God is to be worshiped everywhere in spirit and truth, as in private families daily and in secret each one by himself. The Westminster Assembly actually published an extensive publication called the Directory for Family Worship, requiring church discipline for a man who unrepentantly refused to lead his family in daily worship. So I'm not sure if that's been voted on yet, but I think someone brought that up. But that's, you know, but even just talking about that, like you can kind of get an idea of like how serious they treated or thought of family worship, um, church discipline. The, I, when I thought about that too, I thought, okay, how, what's the chain of events in church discipline there? So like who, who told? So it's not happening, but like, did the, you know, like the wife sneak a letter in, the kids like say, oh yeah, we, daddy was, anyways, that's just funny. So um, Matthew Henry said that if our houses be houses of the Lord, we shall for that reason love home, reckoning our daily devotion the sweetest of our daily delights and our family worship the most valuable of our daily comforts. A church in the house will be a good legacy Nay, it will be a good inheritance to be left to your children after you. And so, and Whitney also said too, that at home with family worship is where the Reformation must begin. So Spurgeon, uh, he was the man. So he's got some, some good stuff in here. So he said that if we want to bring up a, good, a godly family, who shall be a seed to serve God when our heads are under the clods of the valley. Let us train them up in fear of God by meeting together as a family for worship. So the, he's, he's kind of going into the, the generational ripple effect like Kent talked about before. So um, Spurgeon said too that I trust there, is, there are none here present who profess to be followers of Christ who do not also practice prayer in their families. We have no positive command for it, but we believe that it is so much in accord with the genius and spirit of the gospel, and that it is so commended by the example of the saints that the neglect thereof is a strange inconsistency. So if we're sort of introspective in our own hearts and our own walk, that should be the fruit of... Um, a God-filled, heart-changed parent, too, is to look at that as the future. But I liked how he put in there that it was um, so much in accord with the genius and spirit of the gospel. So it kind of it puts a neat take, an intellectual take on it, too. That's kind of neat. So we don't want to become legalistic about family devotions, and just kind of like say, okay, we've got to have like this to-do list we've got to get accomplished, and this is one of them, so sit down, let's do this. Um, sometimes that's what happens. Those are day, there are days like that. Um, but we don't want to ignore like the logic and the history and tons of history, you know, thousands of years of history um, and very wise, godly men showing that this has tons of value. So what should a family teaching worship service be like? 
So Spurgeon says, I agree with Matthew Henry when he says, they that pray in the family do well, they that pray and read the scriptures do better, but they that pray and read and sing do best of all. And that's probably the motto of CCC too, is pray, read, and sing. And even on the community group, the, the back page, I was talking to Ryan, you know, that, like this, it's just all modeled that way. So for little kids, um, community group structure is in that simple form, and we'll kind of talk more about that in a little bit too, because that's, that's probably like the take home, is if you remember those, that three thing and then try to do those three things, even if it's whatever form it shows up, that's going to be very beneficial and then repeat. So that's a, it's a complete type of worship. Um, the first Christians did it. We do it. Um, it's very effective. There was a, a quote in there from, it said it was a visitor of Spurgeon's home. Um, and she was describing the evenings at the Spurgeon home. So I'll read that because it's kind of just a neat you know, glimpse into like his home life too. So she says, one of the most helpful hours of my visits was the hour of family prayer. At six o'clock, all the household gathered into the study for worship. Usually, Mr. Spurgeon would himself lead the devotion. The portion read was invariably accompanied with exposition. How amazingly helpful those homely and gracious comments were. I remember especially his reading of the 24th chapter of Luke. Jesus himself drew near and went with him, in quotations from the... How sweetly he talked upon having Jesus with us wherever we go, not only to have him draw near at special seasons, but to go with us in whatever labor we undertake. Then how full of tender pleading, of serene confidence in God, of world-embracing sympathy were his prayers. His public prayers were an inspiration and benediction, but his prayers with the family were to me more wonderful still. Mr. Spurgeon, when bowed before God in family prayer, appeared a grander man even than when he, even than when holding thousands spellbound by his oratory. So we're going to just assume that we're not Spurgeon. Close, maybe. But our, our families are not led by amazing preachers and, and speakers. But what do families who aren't led by these uh, men do? And it's simple. Simple, yeah, simple. You go back to pray, read, and sing. And it doesn't even have to be for that long. So if we move on to the next page with Bible reading. So with Bible reading, you'll want to use something that's age-appropriate. But also you can't underestimate the child's ability to understand what you're talking about. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of great books, uh, Big Picture Story Bible, The Biggest Story, Jesus Storybook Bible, Theology, Old Story New, uh, Training Hearts, Teaching Minds. Catechisms are great, too. Um, we use those a lot. Um, someone once said that if you pack it in now, they can unpack it later. So with these books, there's... There, we, Ryan and I brought quite a few up here, so when 
when I'm done, if you want to come look, take a screenshot or jot down what they are just for some resources. And then I'm going to try to make a post on Faith Life too so people can share stuff. So if someone has a good book, recommendation, or, or even like a strategy or a tactic or something that they do that they've kind of worked into and said, okay, well, this didn't work. This is, this is great. This is our um, method. Um, that may be a good little spot to, to share and then to have to go back to have some resources linked into a post that we, are those searchable like even a long time from now? Okay, so maybe that'll be a good little resource to have later too and people can add to it. But I, I know like in our community group, um, the, we have four, Watley's have four, Geezer's four. There's a lot of kids, so there's a lot of stuff going on. So I know like when Lee, Candace, uh, when, when the wives especially get to talking about all these resources and like how to tame kids and corral the cats, then it's, there, there's some good pointers. So I know there's going to be some stuff that, you guys can chime in on um, like best practices of how to do this with um, feral kids, basically. So, <laughs> so usually before before the Bible reading, reading the you know usually a short passage. Uh, it's good to start with prayer. It kind of instills in them the idea that they need God's help to understand His Word. So. Um, we should probably read enthusiastically, like it's um, you know, going to be entertaining. Um, you can explain the words the kids don't understand. Ask them some questions. That's typically how you find out what they really know or don't know. What did that mean? Or can you say back to me what we just talked about? Um, and then they're going to probably have questions too. And then those, like at the end, can short, sort of be focused on application into like the family life, and then their, their personal lives unique to them at their age and, and stage. So prayer, is, it's helpful too, uh, for that little, little bit of time that you're doing family worship to pray using the passage. Um, you, you can kind of take the, I'm sure you guys have seen it, sort of like the ACTS um, acronym, a is for acknowledgement, C is for confession, the T is for thanksgiving, and S is for supplication, and kind of model that to them so they kind of learn how to pray too. Um, because a lot of times it turns into, um, which is okay too, but they're sort of praying for the people they know. Um, and it's hard to kind of get them to learn how to pray with a, a bigger frame of thought in mind. So... Because um, you're, you're praying not just for you know, your personal needs and holiness, it's for the family and the church and even praying for you know, everything in the world is, is good too. So just think about how you can help the kids to pray for their spiritual and physical needs. Um, sometimes the prayer too, it's, it, it's, it, it can sometimes get to be like this repetitive thing. You know, pray at dinner and... It, we almost kind of take it too lightly, but it's a it's a great example in like showing the kids like what the faith means to you to pray 
with them. So you're, you're, you expressing your love to God kind of um, displays your, close, your sense of closeness to him, and that's really instructive too. So for them to see that, um, you know, there's a, that's beneficial just in the symbolism of you praying to your, your God in front of them. Spurgeon's wife, she said that after the meal was over, an adjournment was made to the study for family worship, and it was at these seasons that my beloved's prayers were remarkable for their tender childlikeness, their spiritual pathos, and their intense devotion. He seemed to come as near to God as a little child to a loving father, and we were often moved to tears as he talked thus face-to-face -face with his Lord. It's pretty powerful. So they had twin boys, too, so they... They were there with him, obviously, during, during those times. So. Um, so there are people that are single, called to singleness, or just still single, and there are some people that don't have kids yet. So um, the prayer is like the first point of an example, or an example where you can have an impact on children, too, even though they're not your own. They're watching you pray. They're listening to you pray in that same... Um, reverence and adoration and awe that you have in your prayer in front of those children is a witness to them too. Um, another um, thing to consider would be for a home to welcome singles in to be a part of a family worship. You're not going to find Spurgeon, but we're trying. And you can kind of think of that family unit as sort of like a, a way to which that family worship is kind of a model to your relationship with God. You can see how the parents relate to the kids. You can watch how the parents are trying to lead the worship. Um, you can see their tenderness, uh, sweetness, um, and if you happen to visit a family that's not like all hearts and flowers, then hopefully you'll note like the forgiveness and the patience and the perseverance of the parents. And then you can reflect on God's own patience with you. If it's a total disaster, then you just go somewhere else the next week and don't, don't go back. And then tell Kent and Debbie where to go and say, go check on the McCalls. They're having a rough time. So... But a, a family home should be built to welcome single people. So lastly, singing. Sometimes that's a tricky one. I'm, I think this church is full of singers, though, so it's probably not a big, a big obstacle there. But you can buy old hymn, hymnals, hymn books. Uh, you can get printouts of worship songs, the songs that we sing. Um, pretty sure there's posts and links to the actual songs, so you can stream them and play them at home and sing the same songs that we sing in church. Um, and those songs are chosen and put into our service with purpose too. So um, if the song relates to what you're talking about, that's even better because that just um, builds a bigger picture. You can let the kids pick the songs. You can... 
talk to them about the meanings of the passage and how the words of the song connect the two. Um, plus, it also just helps them learn the songs and hymns. So then, you know, if you think about little kids learning stuff, big kids too, but um, if you put things they want to learn to a song, they'll remember it so fast. So I think they'll, they'll pick up on songs and hymns very quickly. So then point five on this page is overall keys are brevity, regularity, and flexibility. And that's probably like number two take-home point besides uh, pray, read, sing is brevity, regularity, and flexibility. And so I think those two things are probably like if you just remember those and try to hit those, those words, you'll, you'll, you'll do a good job. And you'll learn on the way, and it, it, it gets better and better. And so there, there's tons of stuff to do. Um, you, know, you can ask your, your, your friends and other families what to do. Um, it can feel overwhelming, so if you've not been doing this with intention, it almost feels like there's too much to do. Uh, but if you just pick something and do it, your own feedback from how that goes is going to let you mold, mold it into something that works good for your kids and their age and, and what you're doing. Um, sometimes ours are like total chaos. Uh, we've got kids doing cartwheels and dogs barking, and um, it can be wild. And then you'll have a minute where you're like, oh, this is great. We're connecting. And then you ask a question, and... You know, the answer back is total, I told Ryan, you know, the church we went to before, we had like a running joke. So if you, if you were asked a question, you didn't know what it was. You just, you picked, your answer was either going to be Jesus, read your Bible. Um, you just said one of those things and you were going to be right most of the time. So Vivi, um, she probably struggles the most paying attention to these old talks and stuff or catechism questions. So Sometimes she's doing something and we'll say, well, Vivi, what were we just talking about? Or, <laughs> and her go-to answer every time is, um, Holy Spirit? So, so sometimes you're doing this stuff and they have, they're not taking it all of it in to be able to like recite it back to you like in an essay or pass a test kind of form, but there's good coming from it. So uh, there are some times where you, know, you get through one of these sessions, you've got breakdowns, and you've got kids fighting, and um, you're thinking, okay, this, this is like um, going on a strict diet or exercising in a way that is, it's all beneficial, it's good for you, but it's, this seems painful. Oh, what's the point of doing this? We're going through all this struggle and heartache, uh, but it's for benefit, so... Stick with it, be consistent, pick something, and then just do it. So that's the formal kind of part of the discussion. So now we need to kind of talk about how informal worship cultivates um, growth. So remember, Moses wrote on, of God's commands to impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Um, and I just think it's so cool, like that exact, you can apply that to today. It's verbatim. There's no, well, we made the forehead thing, we don't do that much, but um, 
Let's just need to apply that broadly. So teaching our children to be worshipers is sort of like an all-the-time thing. It should be going on all the time, wherever we are. So that means we cannot delegate that aspect to anyone else, even the church. Um, it's our privilege and responsibility as parents to do it ourselves. So in an average day, you're going to have tons of stuff that you're talking about, you're going through, that are not always focused on that because you're getting stuff done with school and all kinds of stuff. So, but we need to make sure that God's word's the foundation that we always return back to. And if you think about uh, the greatest example uh, was Jesus, and he was, he was continually using everyday occurrences as opportunities to impart truth. The fall of a tower gave him the opportunity to talk about God's judgment and repentance. Encountering a woman drawing water from a well became a lesson about living water and eternal life. The lilies of the field became a lesson about faith in the constant provision of God. The mustard seed became a lesson about the surprising way that God himself grows his kingdom. So Jesus seized ordinary events, turned them into teachable moments to bear fruit for the kingdom. So that's our job too. So um, Paul Tripp was describing his son walking through the kitchen while Paul was baking bread. And he said that we need to easily move from yeast to God and then back. So every, everyday life things can turn into um, family worship. So it's not easy to keep God's word as our constant subject of conversation, so we need reminders. And that's C2. Um, the, the Israelites were to put God's word physically up all around them. God knew that his word had competition in their lives from tons of other things. And I feel like that's, I guess it's true, relatively speaking, to every generation, but it seems like it's really extra, you know, true today. Um, so we needed to kind of take practical steps to, the, to keep God's word at the center of our conversation and in our minds and our thoughts and in our words. Um, you can put Bible verses up on the mirror. I have a friend who puts sticky notes on a da the dash of the car, all these places that we are all the time just to kind of keep uh, feeding in God's word in every form and format that we can get to. Um, I think sticky notes are probably only like, we should probably put these on sticky notes. It'd be more, more effective. It's, everything should be on a sticky note. Um, you see tons of signs. I mean, it's like Etsy stuff everywhere with blessed. And so we can kind of like, you know, put Bible verses on stuff. So there's lots of ways to put God's word in our eyes, in our ears, um, constantly. And I think the power of music is probably maybe the, the biggest. And so they're easier to remember, and they're just like a great way to learn more about God's word. So if God's going to if God's word is to be our constant subject of conversation, number three, we need to be together so that we can have those conversations. So the base of all of this is being together. You can't do family worship if you're not together. So um, 
So with fathers in mind, you know, as you think about God's will for you, like in your job, whether it's taking a new one, a new role, new responsibilities, the way you schedule your workload, you, you can ask yourself, is this, can I do this thing? Can I take a job, promotion? Can I make a move, take on another responsibility, and still meaningfully, meaningfully live out the spirit of these verses? The same thing goes for mothers too, not just for the fathers, but mothers need to consider what, how their decisions to take on uh, activities like jobs and uh, community ministry, hobbies, whatever it may be, that needs to be considered on how it's going to affect their ability to always be teaching their children God's word. And then this also applies to setting priorities for your kids' activities. Um, you know, are, are you getting so busy that you have no time to even have conversations about God's word? Um, and so that's a, that's a fight, especially more and more as the world tells kids they need experiences, they need to see and do and travel, and, uh, which are great, but sometimes that starts to like sneak in on that priority list, or even like the way the mind thinks about uh, what the point of it all is, you know, the, the world and these experiences rob from uh, applying God's word to those experiences. So one little tip or something to kind of think about is to, um, like for dads, to make a priority to spend time with your kids, you know, lay down next to them, kneel beside their bed, Ask them what they want to talk about. Uh, if they don't know, make them talk about their day to you. You can listen, laugh, talk. Um, it's, a, it's very fruitful. And so this teaches them that their dad wants to listen to them, connect with them like at their place with their language. Um, you, you learn more about their personalities because you're one-on-one -on -one, or at least two-on-one -on -one maybe. And so uh, you can pray with them, but that helps build strong friendships and bonds leading into like some tougher teenage years. So you want your kids to be used to talking to you about what's on their mind. They want to, you want them to know how you react to things, um, hopefully framed in biblical terms, but then you can pray with them too. And I think it's critical at times like this to be... Um, mindful to make sure you ask them what they want to pray for and then maybe help like, teach them how to pray. Uh, you can sing a little song together, um, remind them to turn from their sins, rest in Jesus. So basically that, that experience is family building, but it's just a sweet little tender moment too to bond. And they go to sleep knowing that um, the last thing they've heard is the gospel basically. So we've talked about formal, informal. Now we're going to talk about um, number three, I think, yeah, which requires our own radical change. And that may be the toughest. So our lives have to be changed. So Moses' introduction to his commands about impressing and diligently instructing our children 
It says, these commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. So you can see right there what he's saying. Teaching our children God's word 24-7 to train our children to have hearts that long for all inspired service toward God is only truly done when we are simply passing on what is already overflowing in our own hearts. So with Timothy, if you, th if you remember Paul talking about Timothy's sincere faith, uh, it was first lived in his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And what did they do with this living faith? You don't even have to guess. As for you, Paul told Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom, plural, you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So you can hear the echoes of Moses there too. God's word on the heart of Lois and Eunice, their faith was living. They lived it out every day, so they taught it to little Timothy, who by God's grace learned it and then firmly believed it. So when you, when you kind of think about all this, it's, I, I don't do this perfectly or even, maybe even well, but talking about this is not like a guilt trip thing. It's, um, you know, it's, a, it's a struggle and an area to work on and to work towards and something that we should strive to do. Um, so I'm glad I got this, this lesson because when you prepare for what you take, more out of it, so I, I appreciate that. Um, but families already feel burdened from like all the things that um, are going on, and then if you're not very good at a thing, then you feel uh, kind of beat down or guilty that you're not very good, so then it's even harder to, to try. So, but you can't fake it, there's no hacks for it, uh, you can't skip steps, um, you can't. Um, Every kid's log into, you know, their devices and let's all chat on Zoom or FaceTime or whatever. Um, we need to lead, lead our families like God commands us to. So we have to have God's word deeply impressed in our, in our own hearts. Paul Tripp said that we should be like sponges. When, when children bump into us, that we sh they should become wet with God. So that's kind of a neat little analogy. So the ministry to the family is heart-centered, designed to create little worshipers, bigger worshipers, we're, we're people who serve God with an attitude of fear and adoring awe and wonder. And so we're supposed to do this by leading our families in worship, formally, informally, and we've got to start with God's word dwelling in our own hearts. So I would say think about some of these things and come take a look at these books and maybe the Faith Life will have some resources, but um, pick a thing or two and try it, work on it, and, and figure it out. So read, pray, sing. And then the kiss analogy is pretty good too, like keep it simple and short. And then you can, I guess you can add the third S if you want to, and that can be so, anyways, thanks for coming. Thanks for paying attention. Thanks for being nice and courteous. Um, you know, we're not professional speakers, but we, you know, try and I appreciate it. And I, and I want to say, like, when you think about this structure, um, 
you know, the, our church is designed with this in mind. So it, it's neat to have that as the backbone of our local community church support too. So um, we're, we're being equipped with God's word. We need to take that into our hearts so it becomes our, our being. And then since we don't have the over... Um, and this overburden of things to do all the time at church to entertain our kids and to do all of these sort of like, I, this may come across wrong, but you know, there's a lot of time wasting that can happen playing with our kids and entertaining them at church. And so I appreciate that our, our church is building us up and then allowing us the time to do this with our families in our places, wherever we are and whatever we're doing. So that's a blessing too. So, so use that time wisely too. So even though we're not always here doing stuff, um, take what you're being equipped with and apply it to your, your family life. Every second that we're not doing it, or if we're not discipling our families, something else is or someone else is. So like, that's like a thing of nightmares. So that's all I have, and I think it's time. I would say I'll take questions, but uh, maybe you should just ask Ryan. I'm kidding. Jared. But there's books up here if y'all want to come take a screenshot or just like flip through some of them, see what they have, and then we'll try to post something. And then I don't think um, I'm going to sing today.